Hello and welcome back to Join the Conversation. I'm George Christopher Thomas, your radio talk show host and podcaster, and we are broadcasting and coming at you from the University of Alaska Fairbanks in College, Alaska. So now I invite you to sit back and enjoy this next interview with Alaska State Senator Tom Begich. Senator Begich comes from a long dynastic political family in Alaska, and his nephew is running to replace the late Don Young for Alaska's lone congressional seat. Senator Begich and I spoke about the budget process, his relationship with the governor and the current administration, and what it was like growing up in a famous political family. What is the show Join the Conversation, you ask? Well, in this era of fake news and neo-yellow journalism, this podcast focuses on using academic insight and peer-reviewed understandings to get the real story out there. By basing the conversation in a college atmosphere, the focus is on a combination of learning and accuracy that lays down the foundation for comprehending complex issues and concepts. Our host, which is me, invites you to join the conversation by listening as we bring in a cadre of guests from all over America and the world. This idea of peer-reviewed academia meeting media in real time is the newest concept in journalism. So on with the show. On our sixth show is Senator Tom Begich. This interview is about 32 minutes long. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, non-binary earthlings, thank you for uh, once again listening to our show, Join the Conversation on KSUA 91.5 FM, the University of Alaska Fairbanks radio station. And we have a very special guest with us today. Um, we are going to be talking oil prices, Russia, hail bog, state politics, uh, the difference between Minnesota and Alaska. Uh, state legislatures, uh, we have Tom Begich. Tom, thank you for being on the show. So glad to be here. So glad to be here, Josh. And Tom is the minority leader in the Alaska State Senate. So he is the highest ranking Democrat, I guess, right now in the entire state. <laughs> that's Technically, that's true. That is absolutely true. Well, your dad did teach political science at UAA, so uh, and I saw you went there for a spell. So, in the political science world, that would you are the number one Democrat in the state. So, and <laughs> I, I actually got a two-year degree from uh, ACC when it was here. So I did actually. I waited until after my BA to complete my AA, but uh, I did get. I am an alum. So that that you know, I have an AA, and I'm just finishing up my BA up at UAF, and. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't have an associate of arts, and that's why I wanted to get it just to, to be different. You know, I, grow I, my I, I put on my wall, but you know, <laughs> that's fantastic. So, um, Senator, you were elected in 2016 and reelected in 2020, and uh, you certainly have a very famous political family in Alaska, um, going back to, I mean, statehood definitely the 60s and 70s with your dad. Um, your brother served in the United States Senate. Um, but let's uh, let's nerd out a little bit and talk uh, state politics. Um, you guys are going through the budget process right now. And I saw, I saw that the governor delayed it a week because of the price of oil. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Well, yes and no. He didn't actually delay the budget process. It continues to go on, but we do something every year uh, called the March forecast. So it's an adjustment of the oil and gas forecast. And that forecast tells you what the what the projected price of oil will be, not just for this fiscal year, but for the next fiscal year, which really does drive the budgeting process. And usually it's a pretty straightforward process. But obviously the price of oil on the 8th was at 125 a barrel versus you know, $60 a barrel back uh, six months ago, and even $70 a barrel just two months ago. So what that means is that there's uncertainty as to how much will be uh, produced in oil and gas revenue. So what's happened is the House has slowed their process down. They deal with the op- their two budgets, operating budget, which is, you know, pays for the salaries of employees and Medicaid and that kind of thing. And then there's the capital budget, which deals with our construction issues and things like that, like the repair of Bartlett Hall, for example. That would be a capital budget issue. And so usually the House originates the operating budget, the Senate originates after that the capital budget, and then the two are passed over to each body and they work on them and then they come together at the very end and and work out the differences. So the operating budget's just been delayed a week because nobody is clear as to how much additional revenue there'll be in the state coffers, which could affect, you know, what we appropriate for substance use in uh, mental health programming, for example, or what we appropriate for education. All of these things are factors. The governor gets the final say. I always say 21 votes in the House gets gets a, a, a win and 11 votes in the Senate, but you have to get the governor not to veto it. Otherwise, it's like multiplied by zero. It's nothing. So you got to, you got to, get the numbers right, and then you have to work with the two bodies and the administration to get the budget. Is that nerding out enough for you? Oh, let's let's take it a, a step further. And this is because uh, of the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. Absolutely. And true. the oil prices have gone up. And the state of Alaska, especially for s- state government funding, uh, relies on oil uh, like a majority, a super majority for their funding. Not anymore. Not anymore. And for the last six years, the uh, permanent fund, and and it could be longer than that, but at least the last six years, the permanent fund has actually produced more income for the state from its earnings than oil and gas has. So it's become the driver of our economy in many ways. Now, admittedly, that permanent fund is filled with oil dollars, but those dollars are now uh, invested in land, they're invested in stocks, they're invested in bonds, and they produce a return that is substantially larger than oil revenues in most years. That may not be true this year because of that that momentary price hike based on the tragedy of Ukraine. But but given that, you know, given that the overarching future of Alaska is going to be based on our ability to continue to strengthen the permanent fund itself. So it continues to produce a renewable resource in the form of capital. And, and I think that's really important to note. But this year, we were looking at, at, a week and a half ago, we were talking about, uh, in a conversation I had with the governor, we were talking about maybe $1.8 billion more than we had projected from oil revenue. And that's a lot of money. Uh, by the end of the week, we were talking about $2.2 billion, And then this week, we're now talking uh, north of $3 billion, possibly as close as $4 billion in additional revenue may come out in that March 15th forecast. Again, we don't know. If so, we already have some money in what's called the earnings reserve, which is the earnings from the permanent fund that are just, you know, sort of sitting there. And if, if, if indeed 
if indeed we have that level of cash coming in because of the tragedy in Ukraine, our goal would be, at least on the Senate side, and I believe this is also the majority in the House's goal, would be to save a substantial amount of that money so that when the oil price comes back down, we're able to soften the blow a little bit. So speak to that, because uh, like in 82, it, it was like uh, freewheeling spending, like, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, like a drunk sailor on a Friday night. And then when 86 uh, and the oil price went down, the, it, it kind of made uh, you guys uh, once bitten, twice shy. I mean, I know you weren't serving then, but so the investments now in the PFD will be uh, not just based on uh, oil. I mean, you, you guys have like investment firms and there's a whole thing. Oh, yeah, thing yeah, there. yeah. It's, it's a very thoughtful investment. It's, it's, uh, it's based on a wide variety of, of, of different investment strategies that follows what's called the prudent investor approach to investing. It's just received substantial returns lately. And, and I got to correct you on one thing. I actually, as a, as a young man in my 20s, Worked here in '83, the first okay. year. Yes, yeah, so it's my first job in uh, in in working in the legislative arena, and then I came back in '87. So I got to work in the in the in the post failure. You know, the price of oil fell to five and ten dollars a barrel back then, and so I was I, I staffed what was called the Joint Committee on Economic Recovery, or as we used to joke, the Jerk Committee. But nonetheless, it was the committee that was designed to sort of set a pattern over a two-year period. It set a pattern for what you know, what we could look forward to in the long run. And it really did focus on investment strategies with the permanent fund, how we build up the university. These were all part of our strategy in the late 80s. I, I walked away from state government after that, but but having returned to it as a, as a relatively older human being, um, I'm very glad we put those templates in place because it really did have an impact on on investment decisions and other decisions. Those Those choices made at the downturn in the 80s have really, I, I would argue, kept us building that permanent fund. I mean, the fund is is potentially worth right now between 82 and $83 billion. And you imagine that's both in the principle of the fund and in the earnings account. But that money is is earning at a substantial rate. And that that is our future. So the difference, because you were like a staffer there uh, during the 80s, like what was the difference like in 86 and when you were there in 87, compared to how the state legislature was spending money in the early 80s? I mean, was it like night and day? Night and day. It was uh, it was recklessness. In 83, I remember I was a chief of staff for Senator Josephson at the time, Andy Josephson, who's a rep now's father. And um, I mean, one of the projects was, you know, building a port on Latouche Island, which is an uninhabited island that, that a number of legislators owned cabins on. You know, that kind of, of waste was chronic and then we built all these structures frankly including university uh structures they were parceled out divvied up between the different communities anchorage fairbanks and Juneau, and uh and we didn't provide for any long-term planning for how we would pay for the upkeep and repair of those buildings in the long run so you ended up spending six billion dollars and that's in 83 dollars six billion dollars in a year whereas now the budget's roughly four four and a half billion dollars so when you when you compare those and you recognize the inflation cost of money, we're, we're talking a substantial difference. And by the time we get to 1987, 1988, and 1989, you end up wiping out the community college system. So I was an ACC 
attendee. I went to ACC, got my, my, you know, eventually got my two-year degree there. There is no ACC. That's Anchorage Community College. There is no Anchorage Community College now. We wiped that system out in the late 80s. We used to have forgiveness for student loans. We wiped that out in, in the late 1980s. These were consequences of poor planning, bad expenditure policy that led to the removal of benefits directly to Alaskans. And, and it took us, if it, you know, honestly, if it hadn't been for the Exxon Valdez oil spill and the massive billions of dollars in cleanup money that came kicking into the state in 89, we might not have recovered from that recession. Really? So you can uh, parlay the oil spill into um, the boom and bust uh, theory that they use in Alaska. That was... We thrive on regretfully tragedy. We, we have been saved by tragedy time and time again. And, and I, I regret to say it's happening to us right now. And, you know, whether it's the pandemic, which leads to, you know, trillion dollars worth of expenditures at the federal level, a substantial amount. We just got the report. The infrastructure money will be not 3.2, like we've been saying, but closer to $3.7 billion coming into the state. When you realize it takes a tragedy for us to benefit we've got to break that cycle. That's where the permanent fund offers an optimistic future. If you can build that permanent fund as Senator Stedman from Sitka wants to do, he's a co-chair of finance on the Senate side, up to $120 billion, you, you are, you're building on optimism. You're building on, on sound investment and, you're, and, and you have a, a renewable resource capital that's producing your income as opposed to a non-renewable resource like oil and gas. Uh, if there's something else that's come out of this uh, Ukrainian situation, Ukrainian-Russian war, it's that that Europe is is decidedly shifted its desire to be dependent on oil and gas imports. They were already moving to a green future and a non and a renewable future. But what what has happened because of this stranglehold that Russia has had over the Western European oil and gas supplies is they have moved dramatically in the last three weeks to policies that will remove their dependency on oil and gas in the long run. And that that is actually bad news for Alaska if we don't continue to invest in the permanent fund, reduce our dependency on oil and gas, um, take advantage of the, the opportunity that's been presented to us by that tragedy to, to retool our state, which is what I'm hoping and what I've been talking to the governor about doing. Now, the... The thing where you have to be mad at the federal government, but at the same time, uh, Alaska is like quasi dependent on it. Is that a requirement when you run for office? I mean, is, do they give you like a little handbook down at the they, Democratic Party headquarters that say you, you have to kiss and slap Uncle Sam at the same time? <laughs> yes, or or even the, there it is. That's the handbook they give us. Okay. No, um, seriously, the uh, no, you know. Y y I guess maybe I'm a little different in that regard. I've just always felt that the relationship is symbiotic. You know, I, I, I people have for years said to me, oh, you know, we can't have all this government as, you know, and, and uh, you know, I can remember uh, working with the Alaska general contractors at one point and guys telling me, oh, you guys spend too much money. You know, we need to reduce the money. I go, which of your companies doesn't get a state contract? I'm just curious, you know, which one isn't working on a federal contract right now? Because if it wasn't for this state spending money, none of you would have work. We build schools, we build roads, we build buildings all the time. The state has thousands of buildings right now, you know, that, that we have ownership interest in. And somebody builds those buildings, and those are the same people who 
say, well, you can't like federal government. Well, I frankly think federal government serves a role and a purpose, and I want to take advantage of that purpose. I want to, I want to you know, enhance our university system. I want to ensure that we have an education system that is, is not failing our kids. That requires federal resources. You don't just do it. You know, Alaskans don't want to tax themselves on one hand, and, and then they complain about the federal government on the other hand. Well, if you weren't getting that federal resource, you'd have to tax yourself. Otherwise, you wouldn't even have a road to drive on. So to me, it's, it's kind of a, a disconnect that ex exists out there. And I, at least I've tried to demystif demystify it and tried to, you know, wherever I have an opportunity to talk is kind of lay out the truth or the facts of this matter, which is, you know, we're codependent on each other. Let's find a way to do that in a positive way so that we're building you know, to really building to a future where I can sit back and let all you guys take over and run the show. You know, that's that's the way I look at this. Well, speaking to that a little bit, uh, Alaska makes uh, America an Arctic state and Alaska is unique in that uh, the issues that happen up there uh, affect, uh, you know, an international region, uh, certainly the Arctic eight states. And then, uh, I mean, what what kind of relationship does the state government, as you guys, as the state senate and the uh, legislature, the lower house, have with like international treaties, the Arctic Council, the UN? I mean, it uh, it certainly is a more of a unique international state uh, relationship than let's just say Kansas would have with Russia. You know, so well, there's a number of bilateral arrangements in you know in structures you know i sit on the world trade committee we've only met a couple times but when we do meet we talk we're talking about those arctic combined arctic issues and so that is one thing that we do i also for the council on state governments i'm the co-chair of the canadian uh, canadian american relations committee and that has dealt with a number of different arctic issues you know so myself and uh, a member of the legislative assembly in alberta uh, mla newer the two of us co-chair that, and so we have done for a year, about a year and a half now, and we are trying to bring up those those common shared values. But there's the Nupiat, uh, uh, the uh, IIC, Nupiat Inter. Uh, man, I'm just blanking on what the initials stand for. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm like that with acronyms. You you yeah, you, you live I'm in a world of acronyms. Anyway, there are a number of the that conference, a number of uh, different entities that exist. We're all we're all keyed into them, but you know we end up in a pretty parochial world here in the legislature. We get we get into Juno, we begin to talk about sort of these these big fish ideas in this very little pond, and and we get kind of wrapped up in it and we forget the world situation. And that's why when you get, you know, smacked over the head with something like the, you know, the invasion by Russia of Ukraine, it has a direct impact. It wakes you up. It, it, I, I can't tell you how many of us have found ourselves doom scrolling at night, you know, going through and just reading every, you know, nuance to detail. And, and, and there's a disconnect between the, you know, the impact that that's having on us locally and the tragedy that exists there. So. I guess part of what I'm trying to do is make sure people see the connection between the two and that they recognize that in a way, you know, our moment of opportunity is coming at the expense, sadly, of people's welfare and livelihood. And then you you mentioned a couple of uh, bills um, and or committees that you sit on, the, the World Trade, the Special yeah. Committee on the World Trade, 
Um, you sit on the Senate Committee on Committees, which it, it sounds like a political science joke. It sounds like a nerd joke that there would be it's, like the. No, no, go ahead, sir. Go ahead, sir. It's the committee that determines who sits on the various committees. And because I'm minority leader, I'm like, you know, one one voice of five on that committee who determines. I, I basically it's a it's a. Uh, it's sort of not a, a functionally real committee because that all is worked out in negotiations in advance. But you just it, assign it assignments. Yeah, you assign assignments. That's what you do. And um, then rules committee. I, I sit on that. That committee basically determines which uh, bills will go to the floor. And I have a good working relationship with my other rules committee members. So we actually do. Uh, we don't meet all that regularly, but we do discuss the bills before we put them on the floor. It's usually through consensus. And the Senate works. Uh, we've built a strong uh, Republican-Democrat working relationship in the Senate. We work very, very well together. We disagree on a lot of issues. We'll even have contentious votes. But we, we do so civilly, and we work well with each other. And that, I think, is a critical component. I also serve on two policy committees, the Education Committee and the Health and Social Services Committee. And I'm actively participatory in both of those. I, and I help drive the agenda in both of those. Well, certainly, you're the, you're, you're the, the highest ranking Democrat in Alaska. Uh, but looking at the, uh, you're on the subcommittee for environmental conservation, and then you introduced yes. a bill, um, Senate Bill 17, the Energy Efficiency and a Policy Public Buildings Bill. Um, I'm just wondering about that because uh, we had something similar to that in you know the university senate where you would go and install like computers that read and data analyze the building yeah. and show you where you can cut back on you know like wasted energy. There's no point in in burning coal and leaving a light on if nobody's reading a book. Exactly. So 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 12 years ago, we passed a similar piece of legislation. It focused on um, uh, buildings of 10,000 square feet or greater, and it worked with private companies would come in, analyze the building, working with the Department of Transportation, Alaska Housing Finance, I believe it was at the time, and or, or Alaska Energy Authority, but they worked together. <clears throat> they determined what, what it would cost to retrofit a building to make it environmentally sound. And then instead of coming out with a lot of cash, what you do is you'd have the company retrofit the building and then what they do is they take their payment in the savings so you still have the same cost for the building for the next few years and then at the end of that process they're paid off there's been no outlay of cash <clears throat> and then you realize excuse me you realize at that point the savings. And so we actually not only successfully did that with every one of those buildings, we did so well ahead of schedule. So what I did in my build is try to lower that amount to a 5,000 square foot building. I tied it into school and university and other buildings so that you'd be able to do the same thing. Um, Governor liked the concept and he and I have had, he's introduced a green bank bill as a consequence of that. He calls it something different but like an energy retrofitting bill. But we're looking at combining those and potentially that bill will pass, potentially, but combining those concepts, which also set targets for, for alternative energy use in Alaska. And um, my hope is that we will we'll be able to do that. This is good public policy and there's not a lot of outlay. It does cost a little bit of money because you have to do, you know, send people out to do the, do the review and that kind of thing. But if you figure, you, you maybe expend over the space of the of the bill two million dollars over the space of the bill, 
but you save somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 million. It's a pretty, and, and you're building these environmentally sound retrofitted buildings that just, they, they heat better, they cool better, they're better environment for students if it's a school setting, better environment for um, our structures if not. And it just makes more sense to do something like that. Plus you're engaging the private sector in it because they're, they're in, Siemens and other companies are investing in it. You know, so that's what the bill does. It's just really built off of a bipartisan bill that came out of the 2010 legislature and, uh, and just expands the scope of it. Well, Senator, I know I only have you for like 10 more minutes. You have to hop on a call with Joe Biden, but let's go through the, uh, let's get uh, super politically nerdy and talk a little bit about your family. Your brother served in the Senate. He beat Frank Murkowski in 2006. No. 2008, Ted Stevens. Okay, so then. Uh, my dad beat Frank Murkowski in, 19, in 1970. My dad beat Frank Murkowski in 1972 while, while missing. My dad beat Don Young. And then uh, my brother beat Ted Stevens. So I used to say that my family beat the uh, the, the the 70s and 80s congressional delegation. Your your dad is the only person to have uh, beat Don Young, uh, the first and last person, I think I heard you say, to beat Don Young in the congressional election. Yes, I did in fact say that. He was the first and last person to beat Don Young in a congressional election. And then your brother ran for governor in 2018. Yes. And uh, your public service, I mean, when did you uh, realize, you, you know, you were like Alex P. Keaton, but a Democratic version, and you cared, like at a very young age? I mean, when did this start? Were you walking oh, precincts we, at eight? Well, we grew up, uh, you know, with it. We were, we were, Certainly. we were basically sealing Christmas cards, thousands of them by the time we were six or eight, so sort of forced labor by mom and dad. But um, I mean that that was happening then, and, and the pictures were, and those cards were horrible. It's, people will say, "Oh, look what I have! I have this Christmas card I got from your dad." And I said, "Please burn that. That that's so oh, sad. No. It, the pictures are so bad." But but anyway, I, I mean, I'm kidding. I actually saved those. But uh, but we did. We were doing it from a young age. I kind of rejected it. In uh, you know, I was very active in uh, sort of civic groups. Ran you know when I was in high school, I ran the you know, our, our advisory board, I was elected to that ninth grade, the chair of that. And so I was active in that kind of politics, but I'm also a musician and I'm a writer. And I kind of moved to that field while doing and keeping my fingers in politics. My first job in the legislature was right out of college. I had a history degree in college and I came and, and worked uh, writing campaign finance reform law for, uh, for then Senator Fisher and chief of staff for Senator uh, Josephson prior to that. Uh, but I gave that up and I went traveling instead, you know, I wanted to see South America. So I did that. I uh, came back in the 80s, you know, and in, uh, in, in 80, 87, went to work for Majority Leader Max Gruenberg for a couple of years and uh, left to go dig ditches in Southern California, you know, remodels and things like that for minimum wage. Oil spill happened. I came back to work for Majority Leader Navarre, helping draft oil and gas legislation. I left that went off overseas to school and, uh, you know, did that, came back and ran my own business for a number of years, still run that business, communications business on the side. And, um, you know, didn't come back into state government. And I, I went into, you know, like the mid nineties, I went into entry level community development work 
so I started working in um, Fairview and Mountain View and and uh, East Anchorage, Muldoon and, and Spinard, just really trying to to develop community capacity, working with neighbors to to identify their strengths, help them build on those strengths, and and become you know really commanders of their own destiny. And uh, that that kept me engaged enough. I went to work as the community justice coordinator for the state. Work, you know, I, so you I, leave I never, and come back, and you leave and come back, and you think you're done, and then it's, it's in your blood, and you can't help it, and you just like, I really need to talk to somebody about um, uh, jurisdictional boundaries in Anchorage's water district or something. Just to, and then just, before before I leave you, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be a true member of the Fourth Estate without asking you this about your dad's disappearance. Um, it, how do you? deal with like the conspiracy theory aspect of it. There's a lot about, you, you know, majority oh, yeah. leader Boggs and JFK and the Warren Commission. I mean, how do you answer that? Well, mysteries rise whenever you don't have a clear answer to something and people have to, you know, fill in the blanks and it makes people feel relevant. You know, some of those, uh, some of those suggestions have been tragically painful to my family to hear what people will say in the Certainly. press is truth. None of that stuff in the end, you can't let it bother you. It gives you a harder skin. And, and in our world now where there's a, you know, pernicious use of, of social media that, is, that, that, that truly drives people away from the truth. Serving in, yeah, or serving in public office. Like, why would you want to going through what you have to go through, let alone just if you go to any community meeting and listen to public comment, it's crazy. Most most people are most people are pretty decent because I you know I had a community meeting last Saturday and and there were some fairly strident statements made and I and I, and I have a way of just saying look stop you and I are neighbors I'm not doing something that's trying to hurt you I'm not going to yeah. allow you to demonize who I am nor am I going to demonize who you are we are neighbors. We can look at each other and talk to each other. I got a nephew running against Don Young that I'm not probably going to vote for. And the reason why is we have different political viewpoints. Is that but a Republican primary? Is that is he running in the primary? He's running in the primary. He's a Republican. And and but I embrace him and I love him. He's my nephew. You know, oh, yeah. and, I mean, I have a, yeah. I have a few Republicans in my family, too. You know, some of my best friends are Republicans. But uh, okay watch that but what? but my point is this i don't let the conspiracy theories get me down yeah. because you know, people want to believe something they're going to believe it and and i i can't change that you know uh you know was was caligula insane or not i don't know i'm not going to invest in that conspiracy theory i don't know so did nero really burn rome down or fiddle while rome burned i don't know you know but i'm not you know i i and i can't know life's short you're born you live you die and Hallelujah. if you're lucky, you control the live part, and maybe you can kind of control the die part. You don't control the birth part. So, you know, just learn to live with each other. It's not such a bad thing. Those are wise words, sir. And uh, certainly, uh, I appreciate your time uh, coming on the radio show and podcast. I appreciate you and your family's service, uh, public service uh, to Alaska and America. And... Uh, Thank you very much for being on KSUA 91.5 FM. And uh, the next time I'm in Anchorage, we'll go do some curling or uh, we'll play guitar together. Do you ever drop it down the E down? I know it's E-A-D-G-B-E. Do you ever drop that E down to a B when you're playing blues songs? Mm -hmm.
I do that. Yeah. So. That's fantastic. Sir, you are a scholar. You're a scholar and a gentleman. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, I'll email you guys uh, a transcript and tell you when it's on the air. And thank you very much, Senator. That sounds great. Go to Nooks. Yes. Thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. All right. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Join the Conversation, our radio show and podcast on 91.5 FM KSUA, our college radio station here at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. I am your host, George Christopher Thomas, and I thank you for tuning in.